Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones, back here today. It is Sunday evening, March 19th, and as you are all well aware, Purdue's season has come to an end following a 63-58 to loss to Fairleigh Dickinson in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Purdue becomes just the second team in NCAA tournament history to lose to a 16 seed, a very, very disappointing end to what was a really, really good season for Purdue. Um, a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack here in today's episode. Uh, let's get into it. I did want to say thank you to those of you who are listening to this. Uh, if you've pushed play on this episode, I greatly appreciate it. I know after losses, there are two types of people, those who can't get enough of it and those who want nothing to do with it. Um, so I, I presume most of you have consumed quite a bit of content about this loss. I appreciate you consuming this as well. And I am going to try to put an episode together here that makes it worth your while and provides perspective and thoughts. Maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but a little bit of original stuff here. Um, but Farley Dickinson wins this game 63-58. to 58, And really, if you're being honest with yourself here, at no point in the game did Purdue really feel like the better team. Purdue had the best player in Zach Eady, but at no point did Purdue look like a significantly better team than Fairleigh Dickinson. And that is not a good thing. That's not how one versus 16 games are supposed to look. Fairleigh Dickinson got off to a good start, but it was really when Purdue went on a brief run late in the first half. And they don't have stat broadcast for this, so I can't see the runs the way I normally can. But Purdue went on a run in the first half, and Fairleigh Dickinson answered it. And at that point, it was kind of game on. I mean, you knew this was going to be a two-half game that, you know, you by no means did you think necessarily the upset was going to happen. If you're a Purdue fan, you obviously knew that the whole way. You were probably worried all day Friday. But, um, you know, at that point, you knew this was going to be a game. And then in the second half, Purdue went on another run. I think they went up five. I think it was 46-41. And FDU came right back. And I, I think they retook the lead pretty quickly. And at that point, it was upset watch. It was upset alert. Uh, you knew this was going to come down to the wire. And at that point, you know, it became a coin flip type of game. And ultimately, Purdue didn't make plays down the stretch and they lost. In the episode before the NCAA tournament started, I, I talked pretty significantly about how Purdue's two pitfalls all season were the turnovers and poor three-point shooting. That's a combination that if you have it together, boy, it's really hard to beat teams. When you're not shooting the three ball well, and most of your makes are coming on twos, and then you're turning the ball over, therefore not getting as many shots up, 
meaning you're making fewer shots as well, then you're in a real pickle no matter who you're playing. If you're playing a good team and you have a poor shooting night in a game where you turn it over 16 times, you are likely getting run off the court or at least beat definitively. Purdue didn't play a very good team, but because Purdue had the combination of 16 turnovers and going 5 for 26 from three-point range, Purdue was defeated. You'd heard all the talk all season, ever since November, that Purdue has these freshman guards, and come the NCAA tournament, it's going to be a problem. And throughout the majority of the season, they looked like anything but freshman guards. Both Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer had really good freshman seasons for Purdue, albeit you know some ups and downs for Fletcher Lawyer shooting the ball especially. They both had really good freshman seasons. This was not a great end to their freshman season. Um, you know, Braden Smith has seven turnovers in this game. Fletcher Lawyer has three. So there's 10 turnovers from your freshman backcourt. That's a really tough number. That, that That's way too many to come from two players. Braden Smith goes two for 10 from the floor. Both of those makes came right away uh, in the first I want to say in the first four minutes of the game, it it was just a really, really tough day for those guys. And I know Fletcher Lawyer hit some shots. He hit a big three at the end that gave Purdue a little bit of hope late. But at the end of the day, you know, Purdue's backcourt wasn't good enough from those two. And they, they looked the part of freshmen in their first NCAA tournament game. They looked rattled. They, look, they looked unsettled. But the whole team did as well. Uh, you could tell from very early on, Purdue felt the pressure that was on them in that game. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, you can you can yell coaching, all of that. I, I don't know if that's a coaching thing. There are, there are realities of playing in the NCAA tournament, and increased pressure is one of those. That is a reality of being a number one seed. I don't know what to make of that. But Purdue looked very tight. Purdue looked very unsure of itself. And ultimately, at no point in that game did it look like it felt it was the better team. Uh, It didn't have that confidence to them that we saw for most of the season. And ultimately, that cost them as they became just the second team to ever lose to a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. You know, much much is being talked about right now about Purdue's style of play and whether it can work in the NCAA tournament or not. But what it what it does have is it has a pretty low margin for error because the defensive limitations are very real. You know, Purdue really went all in on the ultimate size thing going back around 2015 or so when they had A.J. Hammonds come in, and they really decided to build around him. But you look at recent years, and Purdue has had some good defenses, but not a lot of great defenses. Um, Like the last three years, you know, Purdue 34 in adjusted defensive efficiency at Ken Palm in 21, 93rd last year, and now they sit at 22nd here 
um, obviously with some of the NCAA tournament to go. But what it tells you is that Purdue is not necessarily elite. They haven't had that top 10 type of defense. And I think that's largely because, you know, there are real points where you can exploit it. Um, when you have guys out on the perimeter that can pull Zach Eady out and then he has to find a way to defend on off the dribble, it gets real dicey for him. Uh, it gets dicey for Purdue's bigs in general. And it's, it's just something Purdue's dealt with. Throughout the majority of this season, they dealt with it really well. Um, they kind of sat Zach Eady back in a one-man zone a lot this year or put him on a non-shooter. We talked about this on the podcast episode from Wednesday last week. But in this game, Sean Moore is the guy that, you know, statistically wasn't a good shooter. And he goes three for 10, seven for 17 from the floor. So it's not like he had some giant game, giant game just from a, a, num, a field goal percentage standpoint. But, you know, he came up big every time they needed him to. Uh, it's not like Farley Dickinson really shot tremendously well as a team. They go 38%, 30% from three, but Purdue goes 35% and 19% from three. It just, it Far, Farley Dickinson did a nice job of exploiting Purdue's defensive weaknesses. Purdue's guards really struggled to defend one-on-one. They got beat just as much as Zach Eady did. And that was really the issue. They got beat not just off the dribble, but they got beat to the glass as well. And that that is really concerning uh, because Purdue had been such a good rebounding team all season. It wasn't in this game. And that's a major reason why Purdue lost. Purdue got outscored in the paint and Purdue, Excuse me, Purdue did not get outscored in the paint, but Purdue gave up 24 points in the paint, and Purdue did get outscored in terms of second-chance points. That is almost unfathomable against a team like Farley Dickinson, but it's what happened. Uh, Purdue finishes that game with its second-lowest, tied for its second-lowest point output of the season. Uh, again, not good, not good at all against a defense that, you know, was not necessarily, um, you know, not necessarily the 85 Bears out there, to use a football analogy. But, you know, Purdue, again, that combination did them in because Purdue's offense, when it's firing on all cylinders, it's incredible. It's borderline unstoppable, the system that Purdue runs. But where you get into your issues is when the three-point shots aren't falling and teams can do what Farley Dickinson did to Zach Eady, and that is have two guys on him at pretty much all times, and then once he catches the ball, they bring a third. They showed no respect to produce three-point shooters, but they didn't have to because the shots weren't falling. And then by a certain point in the game, it was so in everyone's heads that you saw Purdue's guys not wanting to take shots. 
Mason Gillis wasn't wanting to shoot from three. Uh, Brandon Newman was hesitant. Ethan Morton was hesitant. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer certainly never was. He was ready to put it up. But Purdue finishes the season at 32% from three-point range. That's bad. That's just flat-out bad. Uh, It doesn't make sense. It never has made sense all season. Purdue has better shooters than that. But, again, they're 30, they played 35 games. Uh, that's enough data to be a pretty good snapshot of what this year's team was. And it simply wasn't a good three-point shooting team. You look at what happened in this game. You know, Zach Eady um, did all he could do, really. 21 points, 15 rebounds. Purdue couldn't get the ball to him because FDU was just disrespecting their three-point shooters so much, but they could do it. The guys that Purdue needed to step up, though, I'm looking at the box score here. David Jenkins plays 26 minutes of basketball and doesn't score. Brandon Newman, 15 minutes, one for four from the field, two points, two turnovers. Um you know, Mason Gillis going one for seven from three-point range. You don't see that often. Ethan Morton doesn't score. Uh, Caleb First has four points, but he was out on the out on the perimeter, not even looking to shoot at all. He had a really rough year from three-point range. No doubt about that. But, you know, it just no one was ready to shoot for Purdue. No one was willing to shoot for Purdue. And ultimately, you could see that as the game progressed, they lost more and more confidence, and that's just not how 116 games are supposed to go. Now, again, with the style of play, when it breaks down, it doesn't look good. Um, There are certainly challenges against these small, quick, athletic teams, and it's certainly a style that is built for the Big Ten. I think that is something that's very clear here because ever since Purdue has really stuck with this ultimate size style where they have one big guy and surround him with a bunch of shooters, Purdue's had remarkable success in Big Ten play. Uh, They've had a double bye all but one year in the Big Ten tournament, meaning they've finished top four since 2015. Uh, I think that's eight of the last nine Big Ten tournaments. They've had a double bye. They've won three Big Ten regular season titles in there in addition to a Big Ten tournament title. It's worked. Uh, It has absolutely worked in Big Ten play. Why it hasn't worked in the NCAA tournament, it's it's confounding. It's not... You can try to explain it, but the, the game of basketball doesn't change in the NCAA tournament. The rules are the same. It is... The same width of the court, the same width of the lane. Obviously, guard play has a higher ceiling. That part's very true. Um, Big guys have to have someone throw them the ball. So, you know, Zach Eady in this game, Purdue turns it over 16 times. Well, Zach Eady had exactly two of those turnovers. So, 14 of those were possessions where Purdue maybe could have gotten the ball to Zach Eady, but didn't and turned it over instead. These smaller, quicker lineups can exploit it. 
these mid-majors that Purdue has struggled with the past three NCAA tournaments don't really have a choice because they can't recruit big guys like the Big Ten schools and the SEC schools and the Big 12 schools can. Uh, they just kind of go with what they have. And Purdue has really struggled with it. There are, you know, there aren't a ton of similarities from those three teams. St. Peter's and FDU, a little bit more similar than North Texas, who was actually a pretty all right team. Uh, the other two were not. But, you know, right now, the vitriol is all towards Matt Painter. Obviously, if you go on social media, if you go on the message boards, uh, that's where it all goes because, um, you know, when you bow out early, that's who you blame. And it's a really difficult situation here. It's remarkably unfortunate that this season ended this way because all season long, Purdue outperformed any reasonable expectation. There was not a reasonable person in this world that thought Purdue was going to be a number one seed this year. There was not a reasonable person in this world that thought Purdue would spend like eight weeks at number one in the country or whatever it did. I don't remember how many weeks it was, but it's something like that. No one in their right mind thought that was going to happen. Purdue overachieved massively, winning the Big Ten and the Big Ten tournament the first time they've done that in school history. They did it with some freshman guards. They did it despite losing two guys who were first-team All-Big Ten during their career in Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey, the latter of which was a first-team All-American. Maybe second-team, I don't remember. But you get the point. Um, they, they really defied the odds all season long. But this season will always be remembered as the year that Purdue lost to Fairleigh Dickinson in the first round of the NCAA tournament. There were so many good things that happened in the regular season. There were so many good things that happened in the Big Ten tournament. But the season is defined by what you do in March. It's like when Purdue went on that Elite Eight run the other year, a few years back. No one remembers that they started the season 6-5. and five. No one remembers their two losses to Minnesota late in the year. They remember getting the Elite Eight. Purdue absolutely overachieved. If you, I mean, I'm as high on some of these players as anyone, but if you think this is a top five roster in the country, the way it performed for most of the year, I'm going to disagree with you. Even the predictives, you know, all have Purdue as a top 10 team to close the season. If you think this is a top 10 roster in the country, I'm going to disagree with you. The credit for how they performed absolutely goes to Matt Painter. So if you want to dish all the blame on him for Purdue losing this game, that's fine, but it has to come with the proper praise for what the season was holistically. Um, the season finishes at 29 and six. It is a very good season that came to a very, very poor ending. You start to look at the future, obviously, the question front and center is what Zach Eady will do. We're not going to know for a while. Uh, he's going to go through the NBA process as he should. He absolutely should. He should get that feedback and see where he stands. 
He's been very non-committal so far. Obviously, name, image, and likeness funds will play a critical role in this. How much can Purdue pony up? What can they put on the table? I don't know. I have no idea what the Boilermaker Alliance will do here, but you know the clock's going to be ticking on that. They're going to have to have something in front of Zach Eady, and we'll see what he decides to do. Um, if he comes back, Purdue will likely be a preseason top five, top ten team that, again, is picked to win the Big Ten in the preseason, is picked to do a lot of really big things. If he leaves, you know, you look at a bit more of a retooling year with some known commodities. Um, guys like Caleb First and Trey Kaufman Wren would get more get more run. We'd see more of what they can do. You know, would they play through Braden Smith more? I, I would think probably. Um, it, it could look a lot different. Matt Painter's not going anywhere. Matt Painter shouldn't be going anywhere. Um, I know they're are gonna, there are plenty of folks out there who um, probably didn't like Matt Painter before the NCAA tournament for whatever reason, but are very, very upset now. And look, I get it. I, I get the frustration of losing to a double-digit seed again. It is almost unfathomable to think that three years in a row it happens, but here we are. Um going to be interesting to see what Purdue does in terms of the transfer portal. The first question is, what does Purdue lose? Because Purdue's limited on scholarships. They only have one. That's assuming that Zach Eady returns. You would love to get, and we got plenty more time to talk about this, I, a lot more to say that won't be said on the show here. Uh, you'd love to at least get you know, another David Jenkins piece to have in the fold in the backcourt. Um if you can get, it's not the easiest thing to get. You know, you, Braden Smith, for as much as he struggled the other night, he was really good all season. He's your starting point guard. So how do you get someone who's maybe not prepared to play as many minutes? How does Camden Heidi look out of his red shirt? You know, is he ready to be a significant contributor? Miles Colvin is a freshman. We'll see. Uh, a lot of question marks here. Does Purdue lose anything in the transfer portal? It's always a question now. Um, Brandon Newman is probably the first name that comes to mind. Look, it's been an up and down road. Does he just want to reset somewhere else where it hasn't been such a such an experience, such a winding road? Does he just want to find somewhere to play his last year and go out strong? I, it's entirely possible. I don't know that I'd blame him. Uh, does Purdue lose anything else? I mean, this is all, it, it's anything is on the table. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect here. Um, I wouldn't anticipate some giant roster turnover, but again, it's the transfer portal era. Anything is possible. Um, you know, look at, my final thought on this, I guess, because there's really only so much to say. Purdue has done everything you can do in the regular season. Um, they they have been phenomenal, and it is worth noting because even though the sport is defined heavily on what happens in the NCAA tournament, you have to at least get there. 
And the regular season is how you get there. But either way, but especially if Zach Eady does come back, next season is going to be miserable for a lot of folks. Because even if Purdue is a preseason top five, top ten team, and they play like it all season long, which, you know, not a, doesn't always happen. Uh, just look at Kentucky this year. Look at North Carolina this year. It doesn't always happen. But if Purdue does that, there will be very little satisfaction from the fan base until they go prove it in the NCAA tournament. And if you thought that team on Friday had pressure on them, it's just going to continue to grow until Purdue breaks through and goes on a run. Um, the final four is obviously the end goal, but Purdue needs a run here pretty desperately where uh, if they don't make it to the final four, they lose to a school that most people have heard of. That's really what Purdue needs here. But um, that's all I have for right now. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thank you to those of you who have listened all year. I know this is not the ending to the season that anyone really anticipated, nor the ending that anyone wanted. But nonetheless, we are here. Purdue ends at 29-6. and six, And the really slow part of the college sports calendar begins as we are still plenty way away uh, from college football season. So I'll be back here uh, regularly. I'll be back here next week. Going to talk some more Purdue basketball. Going to try to put some pieces together a little bit more. As always, if you have questions, send them my way on Twitter at Boilers Beyond and be sure to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, if you're still watching the NCAA tournament, enjoy it and take care.